Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today is the 60th birthday of the 44th president. He is a Nobel Prize, Grammy, and two-time Time Person of the Year winner. We really don't know what we had until it's gone sometimes, do we? The world is a better place because he is in it. Name Barack Obama. Occupation, lawyer, U.S. President, U.S. Senator. Birth date, August 4, 1961. Education, Occidental College, Punahou Academy, Harvard Law School, Columbia University. Place of birth, Honolulu, Hawaii. Grammy 2008 for the Audacity of Hope, Spoken Word Grammy 2006 for Dreams from My Father, Spoken Word Nobel Peace Prize 2009. Silver Buffalo 2010. Time Person of the Year 2008. Time Person of the Year 2012. Best known for, Barack Obama was the 44th President of the United States and the first African American to serve in the office. First elected to the presidency in 2008, he won a second term in 2012. Barack Hussein Obama II was born on August 4, 1961, in Honolulu, Hawaii. His mother, and Dunham, was born on an army base in Wichita, Kansas, during World War II. After the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, Dunham's father, Stanley, enlisted in the military and marched across Europe in General George Patton's army. Dunham's mother, Madeline, went to work on a bomber assembly line. After the war, the couple studied on the GI Bill, bought a house through the federal housing program and, after several moves, ended up in Hawaii. Obama's father, Barack Obama Sr., was born of Luo ethnicity in Nyanza Province, Kenya. Obama Sr. grew up herding goats in Africa and, eventually earned a scholarship that allowed him to leave Kenya and pursue his dreams of going to college in Hawaii. While studying at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, Obama Sr. met fellow student Ann Dunham, and they married on February 2, 1961. Barack was born six months later. As a child, Obama did not have a relationship with his father. When his son was still an infant, Obama Sr. relocated to Massachusetts to attend Harvard University and pursue a Ph.D. Obama's parents officially separated several months later and ultimately divorced in March 1964, when their son was two. Soon after, Obama Sr. returned to Kenya. In 1965, Dunham married Lola Sutara, a University of Hawaii student from Indonesia. A year later, the family moved to Jakarta, Indonesia, where Obama's half-sister, Maya Sutara Ng, was born in 1970. Several incidents in Indonesia left Dunham afraid for her son's safety and education so, at the age of 10, Obama was sent back to Hawaii to live with his maternal grandparents. His mother and half-sister later joined them. While living with his grandparents, Obama enrolled in the esteemed Punahou Academy, he excelled in basketball and graduated with academic honors in 1979. As one of only three black students at the school, Obama became conscious of racism and what it meant to be African-American. He later described how he struggled to reconcile social perceptions of his multiracial heritage with his own sense of self. I noticed that there was nobody like me in the Sears, Robo Christmas catalog, and that Santa was a white man, he wrote. I went into the bathroom and stood in front of the mirror with all my senses and limbs seemingly intact, looking as I had always looked, 
and wondered if something was wrong with me. Obama also struggled with the absence of his father, who he saw only once more after his parents divorced, when Obama Sr. visited Hawaii for a short time in 1971. My father, had left paradise, and nothing that my mother or grandparents told me could obviate that single, unassailable fact, he later reflected. They couldn't describe what it might have been like had he stayed. Ten years later, in 1981, tragedy struck Obama Sr. when he lost both of his legs in a serious car accident. Confined to a wheelchair, he also lost his job. In 1982, Obama Sr. was involved in yet another car accident while traveling in Nairobi. This time, however, the crash was fatal. Obama Sr. died on November 24, 1982, when Obama was 21 years old. At the time of his death, my father remained a myth to me, Obama later wrote, both more and less than a man. After high school, Obama studied at Occidental College in Los Angeles for two years. He then transferred to Columbia University in New York City, graduating in 1983 with a degree in political science. After working in the business sector for two years, Obama moved to Chicago in 1985. There, he worked on the impoverished South Side as a community organizer for low-income residents in the Roseland and the Altgeld Gardens communities. It was during this time that Obama, who said he was not raised in a religious household, joined the Trinity United Church of Christ. He also visited relatives in Kenya, and paid an emotional visit to the graves of his biological father and paternal grandfather. For a long time I sat between the two graves and wept, Obama wrote. I saw that my life in America, the black life, the white life, the sense of abandonment I'd felt as a boy, the frustration and hope I'd witnessed in Chicago, all of it was connected with this small plot of earth and ocean away. Returning from Kenya with a sense of renewal, Obama entered Harvard Law School in 1988. The next year, he met with constitutional law professor Lawrence Tribe and their discussion so impressed Tribe, that when Obama asked to join his team as a research assistant, the professor agreed. The better he did at Harvard Law School and the more he impressed people, the more obvious it became that he could have had anything, said Professor Tribe in a 2012 interview with Frontline, but it was clear that he wanted to make a difference to people, to communities. That same year Obama joined the Chicago law firm of Sidley Austin as a summer associate and it was there he met Michelle Robinson, a young lawyer who was assigned to be his advisor. Not long after, the couple began dating. In February 1990, Obama was elected the first African-American editor of the Harvard Law Review. He graduated magna cum laude from Harvard Law in 1991. After law school, Obama returned to Chicago to practice as a civil rights lawyer with the firm of Minor, Barnhill, and Galland. He also taught constitutional law part-time at the University of Chicago Law School between 1992 and 2004, first as a lecturer and then as a professor, and helped organize voter registration drives during Bill Clinton's 1992 presidential campaign. On October 3, 1992, he and Michelle were married. They moved to Kenwood, on Chicago's south side, and welcomed two daughters several years later, Malia, born 1998, and Sasha, born 2001. Obama published an autobiography, Dreams from My Father, A Story of Race and Inheritance, in 1995. The work received high praise from literary figures such as Toni Morrison and has since been printed in more than 25 languages, including Chinese, Swedish, and Hebrew. The book had a second printing in 2004 and was adapted for a children's version. The audiobook version of Dreams, narrated by Obama, received a Grammy Award for Best Spoken Word Album in 2006. Obama's advocacy work led him to run for a seat in the Illinois State Senate. He ran as a Democrat and won election in 1996. During his years as a state senator, Obama worked with both Democrats and Republicans to draft legislation on ethics, 
as well as expand healthcare services and early childhood education programs for the poor. He also created a state-earned income tax credit for the working poor. As chairman of the Illinois Senate's Health and Human Services Committee Obama worked with law enforcement officials to require the videotaping of interrogations and confessions in all capital cases after a number of death row inmates were found to be innocent. In 2000, Obama made an unsuccessful Democratic primary run for the U.S. House of Representatives seat held by Fordham incumbent candidate Bobby Rush. Undeterred, he created a campaign committee in 2002 and began raising funds to run for a seat in the U.S. Senate in 2004. With the help of political consultant David Axelrod, Obama began assessing his prospects for a Senate win. Following the 9-11 attacks in 2001, Obama was an early opponent of President George W. Bush's push to go to war with Iraq. Obama was still a state senator when he spoke against a resolution authorizing the use of force against Iraq during a rally at Chicago's Federal Plaza in October 2002. I am not opposed to all wars. I'm opposed to dumb wars, he said. What I am opposed to is the cynical attempt by Richard Perrell and Paul Wolfowitz and other armchair, weekend warriors in this administration to shove their own ideological agendas down our throats, irrespective of the costs in lives lost and in hardships borne. Despite his protests, the Iraq War began in 2003. Encouraged by poll numbers, Obama decided to run for the U.S. Senate open seat vacated by Republican Peter Fitzgerald. In the 2004 Democratic primary, he defeated multimillionaire businessman Blair Hall and Illinois Comptroller Daniel Hines with 52% of the vote. That summer, he was invited to deliver the keynote speech in support of John Kerry at the 2004 Democratic National Convention in Boston. Obama emphasized the importance of unity and made veiled jabs at the Bush administration and the diversionary use of wedge issues. After the convention, Obama returned to his U.S. Senate bid in Illinois. His opponent in the general election was supposed to be Republican primary winner Jack Ryan, a wealthy former investment banker. However, Ryan withdrew from the race in June 2004 following public disclosure of unsubstantiated sexual deviancy allegations by his ex-wife, actress Jerry Ryan. In August 2004, diplomat and former presidential candidate Alan Keyes accepted the Republican nomination to replace Ryan. In three televised debates, Obama and Keyes expressed opposing views on stem cell research, abortion, gun control, school vouchers and tax cuts. In the November 2004 general election, Obama received 70% of the vote to Keyes 27%, the largest electoral victory in Illinois history. With his win, Obama became only the third African-American elected to the U.S. Senate since Reconstruction. Sworn into office on January 3, 2005, Obama partnered with Republican Senator Richard Lugar of Indiana on a bill that expanded efforts to destroy weapons of mass destruction in Eastern Europe and Russia. Then, with Republican Senator Tom Coburn of Oklahoma, he created a website to track all federal spending. Obama also spoke out for victims of Hurricane Katrina, pushed for alternative energy development and championed improved veterans' benefits. His second book, The Audacity of Hope, Thoughts on Reclaiming the American Dream, was published in October 2006. The work discussed Obama's visions for the future of America, many of which became talking points for his eventual presidential campaign. Shortly after its release, the book hit number one on both the New York Times and Amazon.com bestseller lists. In February 2007, Obama made headlines when he announced his candidacy for the 2008 Democratic presidential nomination. He was locked in a tight battle with former First Lady and then U.S. Senator from New York Hillary Rodham Clinton. On June 3, 2008, Obama became the Democratic Party's presumptive nominee after winning a sufficient number of pledged delegates during the primaries, and Clinton delivered her full support to Obama for the duration of his campaign.
On November 4, 2008, Barack Obama defeated Republican presidential nominee John McCain, 52.9% to 45.7%, to win election as the 44th President of the United States, and the first African American to hold this office. His running mate, Delaware Senator Joe Biden, became Vice President. Obama's inauguration took place on January 20, 2009. When Obama took office, he inherited a global economic recession, two ongoing foreign wars and the lowest-ever international favorability rating for the United States. He campaigned on an ambitious agenda of financial reform, alternative energy and reinventing education and health care, all while bringing down the national debt. Because these issues were intertwined with the economic well-being of the nation, he believed all would have to be undertaken simultaneously. During his inauguration speech, Obama summarized the situation by saying, Today I say to you that the challenges we face are real. They are serious and they are many. They will not be met easily or in a short span of time. But know this, America, they will be met. Between Inauguration Day and April 29, 2009, the Obama administration took action on many fronts. Obama coaxed Congress to expand health care insurance for children and provide legal protection for women seeking equal pay. A $787 billion stimulus bill was passed to promote short-term economic growth. Housing and credit markets were put on life support, with a market-based plan to buy U.S. banks' toxic assets. Loans were made to the auto industry, and new regulations were proposed for Wall Street. Obama also cut taxes for working families, small businesses and first-time home buyers. The president also loosened the ban on embryonic stem cell research and moved ahead with a $3.5 trillion budget plan. Over his first 100 days in office, President Obama also undertook a complete overhaul of America's foreign policy. He reached out to improve relations with Europe, China and Russia and to open dialogue with Iran, Venezuela and Cuba. He lobbied allies to support a global economic stimulus package. He committed an additional 21,000 troops to Afghanistan and set an August 2010 date for withdrawal of nearly all U.S. troops from Iraq. In more dramatic incidents, he ordered an attack on pirates off the coast of Somalia and prepared the nation for a swine flu outbreak. He signed an executive order banning excessive interrogation techniques and ordered the closing of the military detention facility at Cuba's Guantanamo Bay within a year, a deadline that ultimately would not be met. For his efforts, the Nobel Committee in Norway awarded Obama the 2009 Nobel Peace Prize. On January 27, 2010, President Obama delivered his first State of the Union speech. During his oration, Obama addressed the challenges of the economy, proposed a fee for larger banks, announced a possible freeze on government spending in the following fiscal year and spoke against the Supreme Court's reversal of a law capping campaign finance spending. He also challenged politicians to stop thinking of re-election and start making positive changes. He criticized Republicans for their refusal to support any legislation and chastised Democrats for not pushing hard enough to get legislation passed. He also insisted that, despite obstacles, he was determined to help American citizens through the nation's current domestic difficulties. We don't quit. I don't quit, he said. Let's seize this moment to start anew, to carry the dream forward, and to strengthen our union once more. In the second part of his first term as president, Obama faced a number of obstacles and scored some victories as well. In spite of opposition from congressional Republicans and the populist Tea Party movement, Obama signed his health care reform plan, known as the Affordable Care Act, into law in March 2010. The new law prohibited the denial of coverage based on pre-existing conditions, allowed citizens under 26 years old to be insured under parental plans, provided for free health screenings for certain citizens and expanded insurance coverage and access to medical care to millions of Americans. Opponents of the Affordable Care Act, which foes dubbed Obamacare, 
asserted that it added new costs to the country's overblown budget, violated the Constitution with its requirement for individuals to obtain insurance and amounted to a government takeover of health care. On the economic front, Obama worked to steer the country through difficult financial times. After drawn-out negotiations with Republicans who gained control of the U.S. House of Representatives in the 2010 midterm elections, he signed the Budget Control Act of 2011 in an effort to rein in government spending and prevent the government from defaulting on its financial obligations. The act also called for the creation of a bipartisan committee to seek solutions to the country's fiscal issues, but the group failed to reach any agreement on how to solve these problems. Also in 2011, Obama signed a repeal of the military policy known as Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which prevented openly gay troops from serving in the U.S. armed forces. In March 2011, he approved U.S. participation in NATO airstrikes to support rebels fighting against the forces of Libyan dictator Muammar al-Qaddafi, and in May he also gave the green light to a covert operation in Pakistan that led to the killing of infamous al-Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden by a team of U.S. Navy SEALs. Obama gained a legal victory in June 2012 when the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the Affordable Care Act's individual mandate, which required citizens to purchase health insurance or pay a tax. In a 5-4 decision, the court decided the health care law signature provision fell within the taxation power granted to Congress under the Constitution. Voting with the majority were two associate justices appointed by Obama, Sonia Sotomayor, confirmed in 2009, and Elena Kagan, confirmed in 2010. As he did in 2008, during his campaign for a second presidential term, Obama focused on grassroots initiatives. Celebrities such as Anna Winter and Sarah Jessica Parker aided the president's campaign by hosting fundraising events. I guarantee you, we will move this country forward, Obama stated in June 2012, at a campaign event in Maryland. We will finish what we started. And we'll remind the world just why it is that the United States of America is the greatest nation on earth. In the 2012 election, Obama faced Republican opponent Mitt Romney and Romney's vice presidential running mate, U.S. Representative Paul Ryan. On November 6, 2012, Obama won a second four-year term as president by receiving nearly 5 million more votes than Romney and capturing more than 60% of the Electoral College. Nearly one month after President Obama's re-election, the nation endured one of its most tragic school shootings to date when 20 children and six adults were shot to death at the Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, on December 14, 2012. Two days after the attack, Obama delivered a speech at an interfaith vigil for the victims in Newtown and discussed a need for change in order to make schools safer while alluding to implementing stricter gun control measures. These tragedies must end, Obama stated. In the coming weeks, I'll use whatever power this office holds to engage my fellow citizens, from law enforcement, to mental health professionals, to parents and educators, in an effort aimed at preventing more tragedies like this, because what choice do we have? We can't accept events like these as routine. Are we really prepared to say that we're powerless in the face of such carnage, that the politics are too hard? Obama achieved a major legislative victory on January 1, 2013, when the Republican-controlled House of Representatives approved a bipartisan agreement on tax increases and spending cuts, in an effort to avoid the looming fiscal cliff crisis, the Senate voted in favor of the bill earlier that day. The agreement marked a productive first step toward the president's re-election promise of reducing the federal deficit by raising taxes on the extremely wealthy, individuals earning more than $400,000 per year and couples earning more than $450,000, according to the bill. Prior to the bill's passage, in late 2012, tense negotiations between Republicans and Democrats over spending cuts and tax increases became a bitter political battle until Vice President Joe Biden managed to hammer out a deal with Republican Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Obama pledged to sign the bill into law. 
Barack Obama officially began his second term on January 21, 2013, when U.S. Chief Justice John Roberts administered the oath of office. The inauguration was held on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and civil rights activist Merely Evers Williams, the widow of Medgar Evers, gave the invocation. James Taylor, Beyonce Knowles and Kelly Clarkson sang at the ceremony, and poet Richard Blanco read his poem One Today. In his inaugural address, Obama called the nation to action on such issues as climate change, health care and marriage equality. We must act, knowing that our work will be imperfect. We must act, knowing that today's victories will be only partial and that it will be up to those who stand here in four years and forty years and four hundred years hence to advance the timeless spirit once conferred to us in a spare Philadelphia hall, Obama told the crowd gathered in front of the U.S. Capitol building. The Obamas attended two official inauguration balls, including one held at the Walter E. Washington Convention Center. There the first couple danced to the Al Green classic Let's Stay Together, sung by Jennifer Hudson. Alicia Keys and Jamie Foxx also performed. After the inauguration, Obama led the nation through many challenges, none more difficult, perhaps, than the terrorist bombings of the Boston Marathon on April 15, 2013, which killed three people and left more than 200 injured. At a memorial service in Boston three days after the bombings, he told the wounded, Your country is with you. We will all be with you as you learn to stand and walk in, yes, run again. Of that I have no doubt. You will run again. And he applauded the city's response to the tragedy. You've shown us, Boston, that in the face of evil, Americans will lift up what's good. In the face of cruelty, we will choose compassion. In the same month, Obama also found his efforts for gun control measures thwarted in Congress. He had supported legislation calling for universal background checks on all gun purchases and a ban on sales of assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. When the bill was blocked and withdrawn, Obama called it a pretty shameful day for Washington. By June, Obama had suffered a significant drop in his approval ratings in a CNN-ORC international poll. In the wake of allegations of the Internal Revenue Service targeting conservative political organizations seeking tax-exempt status and accusations of a cover-up in the terrorist killings of U.S. Ambassador to Libya Christopher Stevens and three others at a diplomatic post in Benghazi, Libya, Obama's approval rating declined to only 45 percent, his lowest rating in more than 18 months. Experts also attributed the rating slide to new revelations about the extent of the U.S. National Security Agency's surveillance program. Obama defended the NSA's email monitoring and telephone wiretapping during a visit to Germany that June. We are not rifling through the emails of German citizens or American citizens or French citizens or anyone else, he said. The encroachment on privacy has been strictly limited. Obama stated that the program had helped stop roughly 50 threats. In early July 2013, President Obama made history when he joined former President George W. Bush in Africa to commemorate the 15th anniversary of al-Qaeda's first attack on American targets, the U.S. embassies in Tanzania and Kenya. The event marked the first meeting between two U.S. presidents on foreign soil in commemoration of an act of terrorism. Later that month, Obama spoke out about the outrage that followed a Florida jury's decision to acquit George Zimmerman in the murder of African-American teen Trayvon Martin. When Trayvon Martin was first shot, I said that this could have been my son, the president remarked at a White House press conference. Another way of saying that is Trayvon Martin could have been me 35 years ago. Obama explained that this particular case was a state matter, but he discussed how the federal government could address some of the legislative and racial issues highlighted by the incident. Obama found himself grappling with an international crisis in late August and September 2013 when it was discovered that Syrian leader Bashar al-Assad had used chemical weapons against civilians. While saying that thousands of people, including over 400 children, 
had been killed in the chemical attacks, Obama called Syria's actions a serious national security threat to the United States and to the region, and as a consequence, Assad and Syria needs to be held accountable. The president worked to persuade Congress and the international community at large to take action against Syria, but found a majority on Capitol Hill opposed to military involvement. Obama then announced an alternative solution on September 10, 2013, by stating that if al-Assad agreed with the stipulations outlined in a proposal made by Russia to give up its chemical weapons, then a direct strike against the nation could be avoided. Al-Assad acknowledged the possession of chemical weapons and ultimately accepted the Russian proposal. Later that month, Obama made diplomatic strides with Iran. He spoke with Iranian President Hassan Rouhani on the phone, which marked the first direct contact between the leaders of the two countries in more than 30 years. This groundbreaking move by Obama was seen by many as a sign of thawing in the relationship between the United States and Iran. The two of us discussed our ongoing efforts to reach an agreement over Iran's nuclear program, reported Obama at a press conference in which he expressed optimism that a deal could be reached to lift sanctions on Iran in return for that country's willingness to halt its nuclear development program. Obama found himself struggling on the domestic front in October 2013. A dispute over the federal budget and Republican desires to defund or derail the Affordable Care Act caused a 16-day shutdown of the federal government. After a deal had been reached to end the shutdown, Obama used his weekly address to express his frustration over the situation and his desire for political reform, the way business is done in Washington has to change. Now that these clouds of crisis and uncertainty have lifted, we need to focus on what the majority of Americans sent us here to do, grow the economy, create good jobs, strengthen the middle class, lay the foundation for broad-based prosperity, and get our fiscal house in order for the long haul. The Affordable Care Act continued to come under fire in October after the failed launch of healthcare.gov, the website meant to allow people to find and purchase health insurance. Extra technical support was brought into work on the troubled website, which was plagued with glitches for weeks. The healthcare law was also blamed for some Americans losing their existing insurance policies, despite repeated assurances from Obama that such cancellations would not occur. According to the Chicago Tribune, Obama insisted that the insurance companies, and not his legislation, caused the coverage change. Remember, before the Affordable Care Act, these bad apple insurers had free reign every single year to limit the care that you received, or used minor pre-existing conditions to jack up your premiums, or bill you into bankruptcy, he said. Under mounting pressure, Obama found himself apologizing regarding some healthcare changes. In an interview with NBC News, he said of those who lost their insurance plans, I am sorry that they are finding themselves in this situation based on assurances they got from me. Obama pledged to find a remedy to this problem, saying, we are going to do everything we can to deal with folks who find themselves in a tough position as a consequence of this. The fall of 2013 brought Obama additional challenges in the area of foreign relations. In October 2013, German Chancellor Angela Merkel revealed that the NSA had been listening into her cell phone calls. Spying among friends is never acceptable, Merkel told a summit of European leaders. In the wake of these controversies, Obama saw his approval rating drop to a new low in November 2013. Only 37% of Americans polled by CBS News approved of the job he was doing as president, while 57% disapproved of his handling of the job. Echoes of the Cold War also returned after civil unrest and protests in the capital city of Kiev led to the downfall of Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych's administration in February 2014. Russian troops crossed into Ukraine to support pro-Russian forces and the annexation of the province of Crimea. In response, Obama ordered sanctions targeting individuals and businesses considered by the U.S. government to be Ukraine agitators or involved in the Crimean crisis. 
In 2014 we are well beyond the days when borders can be redrawn over the heads of Democratic leaders, Obama stated. The president said the sanctions were taken in close coordination with European allies and gave the U.S. the flexibility to adjust our response going forward based on Russia's actions. In addition to the ongoing troubles in Ukraine, tensions between Israelis and Palestinians erupted into violence in Gaza during the summer of 2014. At the same time, tens of thousands of Central American children were being apprehended at the U.S.-Mexico border after making the perilous crossing alone. Many Republicans called for the rapid deportation of these illegal immigrants, while others considered the situation a humanitarian crisis. Another of the president's woes came from the legislative branch. Speaker of the House John Boehner launched an effort to sue Obama for overstepping his executive powers with some of his actions regarding the Affordable Care Act. In August 2014, Obama ordered the first airstrikes against the self-proclaimed Islamic State, also known as ISIS or ISIL, which had seized large swathes of Iraq and Syria and conducted high-profile beheadings of foreign hostages. The following month, the U.S. launched its first attacks on ISIS targets in Syria, although the president pledged to keep combat troops out of the conflict. Several Arab countries joined in the airstrikes against the extremist Islamic militant group. The only language understood by killers like this is the language of force, Obama said in a speech to the United Nations. So the United States of America will work with a broad coalition to dismantle this network of death. That November, Obama had to cope with new challenges on the home front. Republicans made an impressive showing on election day and gained a majority in the Senate, meaning that Obama would have to contend with Republicans controlling both houses of Congress for the final two years of his term. Obama flexed his presidential power in December by moving to re-establish diplomatic relations with Cuba for the first time in more than 50 years. The policy change came after the exchange of American citizen Alan Gross and another unnamed American intelligence agent for three Cuban spies. In a speech at the White House, Obama explained that the dramatic shift in Cuban policy would create more opportunities for the American and Cuban people and begin a new chapter among the nations of the Americas. In renewing diplomatic ties with Cuba, Obama announced plans to increase travel, commerce and the flow of information to and from Cuba. The long-standing U.S. economic embargo on Cuba, however, remained in effect and could only be removed with the approval of Congress. Obama may not be able to sway Congress to agree on this policy shift as leading Republicans, including Boehner, McConnell and Florida Senator Marco Rubio, all spoke out against Obama's new Cuba policies. In his 2015 State of the Union address, Obama declared that the nation was out of recession. America, for all that we've endured, for all the grit and hard work required to come back, know this, the shadow of crisis has passed, he said. He went on to share his vision for ways to improve the nation through free community college programs and middle-class tax breaks. With Democrats outnumbered by Republicans in both the House and the Senate, Obama threatened to use his executive power to prevent any tinkering by the opposition on his existing policies. We can't put the security of families at risk by taking away their health insurance, or unraveling the new rules on Wall Street, or refighting past battles on immigration when we've got to fix a broken system, he said. And if a bill comes to my desk that tries to do any of these things, I will veto it. Not long after his State of the Union address, Obama traveled to India to meet with Prime Minister Narendra Modi. According to several news reports, Obama and Modi had reached a breakthrough understanding regarding India's nuclear power efforts. Obama told the Indian people in a speech given in New Delhi that we can finally move toward fully implementing our civil nuclear agreement, which will mean more reliable electricity for Indians and cleaner, non-carbon energy that helps fight climate change. This agreement would also open the door to U.S. investment in India's energy industry. 
The summer of 2015 brought two major U.S. Supreme Court wins for the Obama administration. The court upheld part of the President's Affordable Care Act regarding health care tax subsidies. Without these tax credits, buying medical insurance might have become too costly for millions of Americans. On June 26, the U.S. Supreme Court also made marriage equality a reality with its 5-4 decision to overturn an earlier Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals ruling that same-sex marriage bans in several states were constitutional. By reversing this earlier decision, the Supreme Court made same-sex marriage legal throughout the country. President Obama, who became the first president to voice support for same-sex marriage in May 2012, praised the court for affirming that the Constitution guarantees marriage equality. In doing so, they've reaffirmed that all Americans are entitled to the equal protection of the law. That all people should be treated equally, regardless of who they are or who they love. In his speech, Obama also said that the court's decision is a consequence of the countless small acts of courage of millions of people across decades who stood up, who came out, who talked to parents, parents who loved their children no matter what. Folks who were willing to endure bullying and taunts, and stayed strong, and slowly made an entire country realize that love is love. On the same day as this landmark decision, President Obama grappled with an incident of racial violence by speaking at the funeral of Reverend Clemente Pinckney, one of the nine African Americans killed by a young white man during a Bible study meeting at the Emanuel M.A. Church in Charleston, South Carolina. In his eulogy for Pinckney, Obama said that the church's late pastor embodied the idea that our Christian faith demands deeds and not just words. In July 2015, Obama announced that, after lengthy negotiations, the United States and five world powers had reached an agreement with Iran over its nuclear program. The deal would allow inspectors entry into Iran to make sure the country kept its pledge to limit its nuclear program and enrich uranium at a much lower level than would be needed for a nuclear weapon. In return, the U.S. and its partners would remove the tough sanctions imposed on Iran and allow the country to ramp up sales of oil and access frozen bank accounts. As the administration began its effort to lobby Congress to endorse the deal, Obama made his first trip as president back to his father's homeland of Kenya. In addition to having dinner with three dozen relatives, some of whom he met for the very first time, Obama proudly proclaimed to a packed arena, I am proud to be the first American president to come to Kenya, and of course I'm the first Kenyan-American to be president of the United States. In August 2015, the Obama administration announced the Clean Power Plan, a major climate change plan aimed at reducing greenhouse gas emissions, the first-ever national standards to limit carbon pollution from coal-burning power plants in the United States. President Obama called the plan the single most important step that America has ever made in the fight against global climate change. The plan calls for aggressive environmental protection agency regulations including requiring existing power plants to cut carbon dioxide emissions 32% from 2005 levels by 2030 and use more renewable energy sources like wind and solar power. Under the regulations, states will be allowed to create their own plans to reduce emissions and are required to submit initial plans by 2016 and final versions by 2018. Critics quickly voiced loud opposition to the plan including Kentucky Senator Mitch McConnell, the Republican majority leader, who sent a letter to every governor in the United States urging them not to comply with the regulations. States and private companies, which rely on coal production for their economic livelihoods, are also expected to legally challenge the plan. Despite the backlash from those sectors, President Obama remained steadfast in his bold action to address climate change. We've heard these same stale arguments before, he said in an address from the White House. Each time they were wrong. He added, we're the first generation to feel the impact of climate change and the last generation that can do something about it. 
In November 2015, Obama further demonstrated his commitment to environmental issues as a primary player in the International COP21 summit held outside of Paris, France. Addressing the gathered representatives of nearly 200 countries, Obama acknowledged the United States' position as the second-largest climate polluter and the nation's primary responsibility to do something about it. The resulting Paris Agreement requires all participating nations to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in an effort to limit the rise of global temperatures over the ensuing century, also to allocate resources for the research and development of alternative energy sources. President Obama praised the agreement for establishing the enduring framework the world needs to solve the climate crisis and pledged that the United States would cut its emissions more than 25% by 2030. In September 2016, the United States and China, the two largest emitters of greenhouse gases, announced that their countries would ratify the Paris Agreement. One month later on October 5, 2016, the United Nations announced that the agreement had been ratified by a sufficient number of countries to allow it to take effect starting on November 4, 2016. Speaking from the Rose Garden at the White House, President Obama said, Today, the world meets the moment, and if we follow through on the commitments that this Paris Agreement embodies, history may well judge it as a turning point for our planet. One of the reasons I ran for this office was to make America the leader in this mission, he continued, adding he was hopeful the historic agreement could make a difference. This gives us the best possible shot to save the one planet we've got. On June 1, 2017, President Donald Trump, Obama's successor who was elected in November 2016, made good on his campaign promise to withdraw from the Paris Climate Agreement. With his decision, the United States joined Syria and Nicaragua as the only three countries to reject the accord. In order to fulfill my solemn duty to protect America and its citizens, the United States will withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord but begin negotiations to re-enter either the Paris Accord or an entirely new transaction on terms that are fair to the United States, President Trump said in a speech from the White House Rose Garden we're getting out. And we will start to renegotiate and we'll see if there's a better deal. If we can, great. If we can't, that's fine. Former President Obama responded in a statement, the nations that remain in the Paris Agreement will be the nations that reap the benefits in jobs and industries created. I believe the United States of America should be at the front of the pack. But even in the absence of American leadership, even as this administration joins a small handful of nations that reject the future, I'm confident that our states, cities, and businesses will step up and do even more to lead the way and help protect for future generations the one planet we've got. Entering his final year as President of the United States, in early January 2016 Obama held a press conference to announce a new series of executive orders related to gun control. Citing examples such as the 2012 mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School, the President shed tears as he called on Congress and the gun lobby to work with him to make the country safer. His measures, which have met with vehement opposition from members of both the Republican and Democratic parties, as well as gun advocacy groups such as the NRA, would implement more thorough background checks for gun buyers, stricter governmental oversight and enforcement of gun laws, better information sharing regarding mental health issues as related to gun ownership and investment in gun safety technology. According to a 2015 Gallup poll, most Americans favor some kind of stricter regulations of gun sales. Entering his final year as President of the United States, in early January 2016 Obama held a press conference to announce a new series of executive orders related to gun control. Citing examples such as the 2012 mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut, the president shed tears as he called on Congress and the gun lobby to work with him to make the country safer. His measures, which have met with vehement opposition from members of both the Republican and Democratic parties, as well as gun advocacy groups such as the NRA, would implement more thorough background checks for gun buyers, 
stricter governmental oversight and enforcement of gun laws, better information sharing regarding mental health issues as related to gun ownership and investment in gun safety technology. According to a 2015 Gallup poll, most Americans favor some kind of stricter regulations of gun sales. Shortly after the press conference, on January 12, 2016, Barack Obama delivered what would be his final State of the Union address. Diverging from the typical policy prescribing format, Obama's message for the American people was centered around themes of optimism in the face of adversity, asking them not to let fears about security or the future get in the way of building a nation that is clear-eyed and big-hearted. This did not prevent him from taking thinly disguised jabs at Republican presidential hopefuls for what he characterized as their cynical rhetoric, making further allusions to the rancor and suspicion between the parties and his failure as president to do more to bridge that gap. But Obama also took the opportunity to tout his accomplishments, citing the Affordable Care Act, diplomatic progress with Iran and Cuba, the legalization of gay marriage and profound economic recovery as among them. Further indicating his unwillingness to accept a lame duck status, two months later Obama made two important moves to attempt to cement his legacy. On March 10 he met at the White House with newly elected Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in the first official visit by a Canadian leader in nearly 20 years. Central among the topics addressed during their meeting, which also included trade, terrorism and border security, was climate change, with the two leaders promising a commitment to building an international low-carbon global economy. Trudeau's apparent concern for environmental issues and generally liberal agenda stand in contrast to his predecessor, Stephen Harper, with whom President Obama enjoyed strained relations due in part to Obama's unwillingness to allow for the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline. A week after his meeting with Trudeau, Obama held a press conference at the White House to present 63-year-old U.S. Court of Appeals Chief Judge Merrick Garland as his nominee for the Supreme Court seat vacated with the unexpected death of conservative stalwart Antonin Scalia. Though Garland is considered a moderate consensus candidate, his nomination was immediately rebuffed by leaders of the Republican Party, who have repeatedly stated their intention to block any nominee put forward by President Obama, fearing that such a confirmation would tip the balance toward a more liberal-leaning court. In an allusion to the political standoff, President Obama closed his remarks about Garland by saying, I am fulfilling my constitutional duty. I'm doing my job. I hope that our senators will do their jobs, and move quickly to consider my nominee. During his presidency, Obama already filled two seats in the Supreme Court, with Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan, though both were confirmed when there was a Democratic majority Senate. Leaving the Senate to weigh their options regarding his nomination of Merrick, President Obama set out on a historic mission to Cuba on March 20. The first sitting American president to visit the island nation since 1928, Obama made the three-day visit, accompanied by First Lady Michelle Obama and their daughters Malia and Sasha. Obama's visit was part of a larger program to establish greater cooperation between the two countries, the foundations of which were laid in late 2014, when Obama and Cuban President Raul Castro announced the normalizing of diplomatic relations for the first time since 1961. At the top of the agenda during the milestone meeting between the two leaders were human rights, the U.S.'s economic embargo on Cuba and Guantanamo Bay. Following their first conversation at the Palace of the Revolution, Castro and Obama held a joint press conference broadcast on state television during which they fielded questions from the press. While they acknowledged its complexities, both also professed a shared optimism about the road ahead. On January 10, 2017, President Obama returned to his adopted home city of Chicago to deliver his farewell address. In his speech, Obama spoke about his early days in Chicago and his continued faith in the power of Americans who participate in their democracy. Now this is where I learned that change only happens when ordinary people get involved, 
and they get engaged, and they come together to demand it, he told the cheering crowd. After eight years as your president, I still believe that. And it's not just my belief. It's the beating heart of our American idea, our bold experiment in self-government. The president went on to address the accomplishments of his administration. If I had told you eight years ago that America would reverse a great recession, reboot our auto industry, and unleash the longest stretch of job creation in our history, if I had told you that we would open up a new chapter with the Cuban people, shut down Iran's nuclear weapons program without firing a shot, take out the mastermind of 9 to 11, if I had told you that we would win marriage equality and secure the right to health insurance for another 20 million of our fellow citizens, if I had told you all that, you might have said our sights were set a little too high, he said. But that's what we did. That's what you did. You were the change. The answer to people's hopes and, because of you, by almost every measure, America is a better, stronger place than it was when we started. Obama also expressed his commitment to the peaceful transfer of power to President-elect Donald Trump, and called on politicians and American citizens to come together despite their differences. Understand, democracy does not require uniformity, he said. Our founders quarreled and compromised, and expected us to do the same. But they knew that democracy does require a basic sense of solidarity, the idea that for all our outward differences, we are all in this together, that we rise or fall as one. He also appealed for tolerance and to continue the fight against discrimination. After my election, there was talk of a post-racial America, he said. Such a vision, however well-intended, was never realistic. All of us have more work to do. After all, if every economic issue is framed as a struggle between a hard-working white middle class and undeserving minorities, then workers of all shades will be left fighting for scraps while the wealthy withdraw further into their private enclaves. If we decline to invest in the children of immigrants, just because they don't look like us, we diminish the prospects of our own children, because those brown kids will represent a larger share of America's workforce, Obama continued. Going forward, we must uphold laws against discrimination, but laws alone won't be enough. Hearts must change. He also quoted Atticus Finch, the main character in Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, asking Americans to heed his advice, you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. In a tearful moment, Obama addressed his wife, Michelle, and then spoke about being the proud father of his daughters, Malia and Sasha, and expressed his gratitude for Vice President Joe Biden. Obama concluded his farewell address with a call to action, my fellow Americans, it has been the honor of my life to serve you, he said. I won't stop, in fact, I will be right there with you, as a citizen, for all my remaining days. But for now, whether you are young or whether you're young at heart, I do have one final ask of you as your president, the same thing I asked when you took a chance on me eight years ago. I am asking you to believe. Not in my ability to bring about change, but in yours. On January 19, 2017, Obama's last full day in office, he announced 330 commutations for nonviolent drug offenders. The president's granted a total of 1,715 clemencies, including commuting the sentence of Chelsea Manning, the U.S. Army intelligence analyst who was sentenced to 35 years in prison for leaking classified information to WIC. Leaks. In his last days in the Oval Office, Obama also presented Vice President Joe Biden with the Presidential Medal of Freedom with Distinction. He shared these parting words at his last press conference with the White House Press Corps, I believe in this country, he said. I believe in the American people. I believe that people are more good than bad. I believe tragic things happen. I think there's evil in the world, but I think at the end of the day, if we work hard and if we're true to those things in us that feel true and feel right, that the world gets a little better each time. That's what this presidency has tried to be about. And I see that in the young people I've worked with. 
I couldn't be prouder of them. And so, this is not just a matter of no drama Obama, this is what I really believe. It is true that behind closed doors, I curse more than I do publicly and sometimes I get mad and frustrated like everybody else does, but at my core, I think we're going to be okay. We just have to fight for it, we have to work for it and not take it for granted and I know that you will help us do that. After leaving the White House, the Obama family moved to a home in the Calorama neighborhood of Washington, D.C. to allow their youngest daughter Sasha to continue school there. On January 30, 2017, the former president released his first statement after leaving office in support of the widespread demonstrations protesting President Trump's executive order that called for extreme vetting to keep radical Islamic terrorists out of the United States of America. The order bans immigrants from Iraq, Syria, Iran, Sudan, Libya, Somalia and Yemen for at least 90 days, and temporarily suspended the entry of refugees for 120 days. As a result, immigrants and refugees from predominantly Muslim countries traveling to the U.S. were detained at U.S. airports, sparking protests around the country. Former President Obama's office released a statement in which a spokesman said that the president fundamentally disagrees with the notion of discriminating against individuals because of their faith or religion. The statement also underscored Obama's support of American citizens getting involved in the country's democracy. President Obama is heartened by the level of engagement taking place in communities around the country. In his final official speech as president, he spoke about the important role of citizens and how all Americans have a responsibility to be the guardians of our democracy, not just during an election but every day. Citizens exercising their constitutional right to assemble, organize and have their voices heard by their elected officials is exactly what we expect to see when American values are at stake. Filmography as actor. 13th, September 30, 2016, Middle. Himself. America, July 4, 2014, Middle. Himself. Mitt, January 17, 2014, Middle. Himself. War on Whistleblowers, Free Press and the National Security State, April 19, 2013, Middle. Himself. Ethos, February 10, 2011, Middle. Himself. By the People, The Election of Barack Obama, August 7, 2009, Middle. Himself. Tanner on Tanner, October 5, 2004, Middle. Himself. Hello, Chicago! It's good to be home! If I had told you eight years ago, that America would reverse the Great Recession, reboot our auto industry, and unleash the longest stretch of job creation in our history. If I had told you that we would open up a new chapter with the Cuban people, shut down Iran's nuclear weapons program without firing a shot, take out the mastermind of 9-11, If I had told you that we would win marriage equality and secure the right to health insurance for another 20 million of our fellow citizens, if I had told you all that, you might have said our sights were set a little too high. But that's what we did. I can't do that. <laughs> After my election, there was talk of a post-racial America. 
And such a vision, however well intended, was never realistic. Race remains a potent and often divisive force in our society. If you're tired of arguing with strangers on the internet, try talking with one of them in real life. If you're disappointed by your elected officials, grab a clipboard, get some signatures, and run for office yourself. Show up. Dive in. Stay at it. Sometimes you'll win. Sometimes you'll lose. Michelle LaVon Robinson, girl of the South Side. We made the White House a place that belongs to everybody. And a new generation sets its sights higher because it has you as a role model. Malia and Sasha, of all that I have done in my life, I am most proud to be your dad. For too many of us, it's become safer to retreat into our own bubbles, whether in our neighborhoods or on college campuses or places of worship or especially our social media feeds. Surrounded by people who look like us and share the same political outlook and never challenge our assumptions. And increasingly, we become so secure in our bubbles that we start accepting only information, whether it's true or not, that fits our opinions, instead of basing our opinions on the evidence that is out there. I am asking you to hold fast to that faith written into our founding documents, that idea whispered by slaves and abolitionists, that spirit sung by immigrants and homesteaders and those who march for justice, that creed reaffirmed by those who planted flags from foreign battlefields to the surface of the moon, a creed at the core of every American whose story is not yet written. Yes, we can. Yes, we did. Yes, we can. Thank you. God bless you.